Welcome to Stuff You Missed in History Class from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Katie Lambert. And I'm Sarah Dowdy. And recently, Katie and I have been talking about the Tudors and the Stuarts, which is one of our favorite times in history. And we couldn't move on from that, though, before we talked about this one last great story. And that is the death of Lord Darnley, which was under very mysterious circumstances. He's the indolent, arrogant, drunken, syphilitic, jealous, plotting husband of Mary, Queen of Scots. And he's murdered. In fact, the house that he's staying in blows up in the middle of the night, and his nearly nude body is found nearby in an orchard. And this murder leads to the forced abdication of Mary, her decades-long imprisonment in England by her cousin Elizabeth, and ultimately her execution. So our question today is, who did it and why? And our main suspects are Mary, a group of Scottish nobles, and Darnley himself. So why are there so many opinions about this murder? That's what we have to talk about before we can get into it. Um, What's the historical perception of Mary that so skews the evidence surrounding this murder? And that's the thing, because historical perceptions of Mary are very subjective, and they've also changed over time. Scottish Calvinists saw her as an adulteress and murderess, while Catholics and Loyalists saw her as a wronged queen and later a martyr. She obviously becomes the hope of the counter-reformation against Elizabeth after her death, Her son, who's now the King of Scotland and the King of England, um, tries to refurbish her image a little bit, as well as that of his father, Lord Darnley. Um, By the 18th century, she's almost seen as a victim of her own passions, that she was brought up in this frivolous French court and just didn't know how to behave herself. But Antonia Fraser published a definitive biography of her in 1969, which is on my Amazon wish list, if you'd like to buy it for me, <laughs> that put her in a much more favorable light, saying that she was a victim of the ruthless men around her. So that's what we have to deal with going into this murder and seeing how it's been handled by contemporaries and by historians over the years. But central to the guilt, at least um, during Mary's time, were the casket letters. And it was eight letters in a series of irregular sonnets that, if real, would make Mary guilty as sin. But... They've long been argued to be a mix of forgeries combined with real letters of Mary's that have been manipulated. And they were also lost a yeah, very long time ago. we don't have ago. them anymore. They disappeared sometime during James's rule. Once again, when he's trying to clean up the image of his parents a little bit, something happens to these letters. So most of our evidence comes from hostile later sources. So again, not so trustworthy. But we should give you a little background. We gave you some in our podcast on Mary and her cousin, Queen Elizabeth I. But um, basically, she's the widowed queen consort of France and queen of Scotland in her own right. When she returns to Scotland, she falls in love with her handsome young cousin, um, Henry Stuart, Lord Darnley, who's a fellow claimant to the British throne. His father, Matthew Stuart, the fourth Earl of Lennox, actually had a pretension to the Scottish throne, while his mother, Margaret Douglas, has a claim to the English throne because she's the granddaughter of Henry VII. So he's got some interesting claims in his own right. Right. And as far as Elizabeth and the English Privy Council are concerned, the union between the two of them would be dangerous to the common amity of the countries. Yeah. Elizabeth doesn't want um, Tudor claimants 
uniting their, their causes. But nevertheless, on July 29th, 1565, they are married by Catholic rites, which starts off offending people from the very beginning, especially the Scottish Protestant ministry. And Darnley, who, you know, I guess when you first meet him, must seem very handsome and suave and personable. Turns Don't be out, fooled. Yeah, it turns <laughs> out to be just indolent and drunk and arrogant and very jealous of Mary's somewhat unseemly relationship with her secretary. It's Unlikely that Mary and David Riccio, her Italian secretary, were having an affair, but it didn't look good, and Darnley really didn't like it. And so he comes up with this plan, which again we mentioned in the other Mary Queen of Scots podcast, to murder Riccio in front of pregnant Mary, hoping that she will become sick, maybe even die, that she'll miscarry, and that while she's out of commission, he can take the crown matrimonial. And even these hardened Scottish nobles who are always plotting or trying to kill somebody are kind of shocked that he wants to do this in front of her, but agree. And they even promise him the crown matrimonial, which is what he wants the whole time. And it's unrealistic. That's never going to happen. Um, Mary finds out pretty quickly from him that he was involved in the plot. He names all his co-conspirators. She can't ever really trust him again after this. But... Uh, Despite, you know, this awful event in their already bad relationship, they kind of have to make nice for the baby that's on the way. Right. And Mary draws up a will upon entering her confinement during her pregnancy. And she leaves everything but very specific bequests to her unborn child. Most of those bequests are to her husband, Lord Darnley. Lots of jewelry, including her red enameled diamond wedding ring. So she's probably trying to make sure that he'll be secure in the future should anything happen to her, which isn't the kind of thing you're doing if you're trying to kill someone. You're going to kill somebody down the road. Um, And she does openly leave some nice stuff, though, to the future suspected murderer of Darnley, James Hepburn, the fourth Earl of Bothwell, including a mermaid set in diamonds. And I love this detail, but back then a mermaid often meant a siren, and it was kind of synonymous with a prostitute. And... Mary is not likely to have referred to herself as a prostitute in her own final will. Um, So maybe this is a warning to Bothwell about his involvement with women other than his wife. But Mary does give birth to the child, James. And most important at this time, she has to get Darnley to publicly recognize this child as his. And this is so embarrassing for right. her. Right, and not say Rizzio's. Like, he has to say in front of witnesses, and so does she, that this is his child. She really has to spell it out. Darnley kisses the child, and she has to go even further than getting that recognition from him, and says, And I am desirous that all here bear witness, for he is so much your son that I fear it will be the worst for him hereafter. Which is a sad... Um, premonition from Mary on the birth of her her son and heir that she's already feeling this bad. And Darnley's behavior doesn't improve after James's birth. He goes out very late at night carousing, and they have to open the gates for him, which, of course, puts everyone at the castle at risk, yeah, including so Mary, Mary and little and James. James, yeah. And he goes off by himself to bathe in these secluded places. He's such a strange guy. And this is exposing him to all these lords who are not a fan of him. Um, he's English, he's pretentious, and he's 
um, exposed all his co-conspirators in the Rizzio plot. So he's just putting himself out there where he could get killed, and Mary begs him not to put himself so indiscriminately into the power of his enemies, and that's a quote. Um, she She's worried about him, too, not just for him. Right. She thinks maybe his conspiracies haven't quite ended, and that he's possibly plotting against her that he wants to kidnap the child. So she keeps James in a cradle beside her own bed. Which is very unusual. Usually you would establish um, a household for for James. Um, Darnley at one point even threatens to leave the country, which would be absolutely humiliating for Mary. It would imply that either he had done something wrong or she had done something wrong. And she's just horrified by this prospect. And she gets really, really sick and wants to make sure that the throne will pass to James, not Darling, makes that very clear. And um, even slips into a coma and goes stiff at one point. Everybody thinks she's dead. And the truth is, at the time, she almost wishes she were dead because things are so hopeless in her marriage. Right. So she has to figure out the problem of Lord Darnley. How can she end this marriage? Because annulment, based on consanguinity, them being related, would seriously have questioned the legitimacy of James, which is something she absolutely doesn't want to do. And divorce would have had each of them acknowledging the validity of a Protestant divorce. And as she is very Catholic, and this is important to her, she doesn't want to do that either. And a Catholic church sanction separation based on Darnley's carousing his infidelities would have had them both still united in the eyes of God and unable to remarry. So here is Mary faced with the prospect of um, having this husband for the rest of her life. He's actually a few years younger than her, so it's very likely that he would survive her. And he's terrible. And there's no good way to get rid of him. Um, there is the suggestion that she could arrest Darnley and charge him with treason, because even though he's her lord as her husband, she's his queen. And uh, the only problem with this is there's a catch in Scottish law that makes it impossible for the king of Scotland, which even though Darnley is, is not the crown matrimonial, he's just kind of a figurehead king, um, he can't be charged with treason. So also, even if he could be, how embarrassing is it to uh, charge the father of your child with treason, just as all these foreign diplomats are coming into the country to witness the baptism and have this great celebration. So she doesn't have any good options here. No. So she and her advisors come together at the Craig Miller Conference to discuss, again, the problem of Darnley. And Mary expresses that she's worried about the effect divorce would have on James's legitimacy. And her chief advisor, William Maitland, who is a longtime supporter of Mary, but also not afraid to call her out, um, tells her, Madam, fancy you not we are here of the principle of your grace's nobility and counsel that shall find the means that your majesty should be quit of him without prejudice of your son. So that sounds like a bunch of gobbledygook, and it is. It's roundabout language, and it's like, wait, okay, are we talking about divorce here, or are you talking about something else? Is this tricky language to to suggest murder? And Mary must have understood Maitland's meaning. Right. She catches his drift, and she says, I will that you do nothing by which any spot may be laid to my honor or conscience. And therefore, I pray you rather let the matter be in the estate as it is, abiding till God in his goodness put remedy thereto than you, believing to do me service, may possibly turn to my heart and displeasure. 
So this is basically saying, don't do anything. Just let's see what God does. Let's wait until Darnley dies. Right, and it would hurt and displease me if you did anything like, oh, I don't know, murder my husband. Don't do it. And when Katie and I were talking about this earlier, I think you rightly suggested, well, was she just playing along here? You know, like, oh, don't do anything, you know, wink, wink. But I think that one thing we can't afford to lose sight of here is that Mary isn't a private citizen who can make these choices based on love or revenge or just, I've got to get rid of this guy. She's an anointed queen whose lifelong ambition is to have the English succession settled on her. And she's not likely to lose sight of that lifelong goal just in this moment of of panic. Right. But regardless of what she wanted, the Lords draw up a bond for Darnley's murder. So the stage is set here. Darnley is in trouble. And he already knows he is because the exiled lords, the co-conspirators who he betrayed to marry during the Rizzio murder, return to Scotland. Darnley is not a very smart guy, but he's smart enough to get out of Edinburgh. He returns to the Lennox home base in Glasgow, his family's his family's strong, you know, strong home base. And on the way there, he falls ill with smallpox, supposedly. In quotes, <laughs> it's really syphilis, which he probably caught in France as a young teen. And when his body was exhumed, yay, exhumation, <laughs> in 1928, his skull was examined and showed pitting caused by syphilis. And Mary must have understood what this was. Mm. And I'm sure that really didn't help her revulsion. Yeah, so not only has your husband murdered somebody in front of you, he's got syphilis. That's just grand. Um, And so we know already from the Craig Miller conference, Mary knows about the plotting of the Lords against Darnley. But she also gets wind that Darnley is continuing to plot against her, past the Rizzio murder. Um, And she can't bear the suspense anymore of having him isolated down in Glasgow, where he's got more support than anywhere else in Scotland. So she goes down to visit him. He's sick. Try to bring him back to Edinburgh. And this is often a charge leveled against her, that she's luring him back to his death in Edinburgh. And, okay, on the one hand, yeah, in Edinburgh, he's closer to all these angry lords who want to kill him. But on the other hand, he wants to kill her. Right. So keep your enemies closer. And she does. She gets Darnley back where she wants him and sees him installed in Kirkafield at the old provost lodging. She's just a short walk away from him, about 10 minutes. And it's Darnley who wants to be at Kirkafield, a collegiate church. She wanted him at a more fortified location, but he said no. And there are always these um, kind of amazing superstitious type things surrounding Darnley in our podcast, but a raven accompanies them back from Glasgow and was seen perched on the roof of the old provost lodging where Darnley was staying. He did not say nevermore, as far as we know. (laughs) But it seems like relations between the two are improving while he's there. She visits him daily. They sit up late talking. She even stays over a couple nights. And while it's not likely that she's rediscovered her love for him or anything, she's at least trying to make a peace with him or make sure he's not a threat to her anymore. Yeah, to to demilitarize him almost and um, bring him back over to her side or at least just kind of calm him down so he's not causing all this trouble. And also, he's he's an important part of her claim to uh, the English succession. A lot of um, English Parliament actually think that he has a better claim than she does. So um, making nice with him 
especially when they have this one-year-old son, is a good idea. Right, both personally and politically. And as far as he goes, things are starting to seem okay with the lords, too. They even come and visit him, even Bothwell. Yeah. Another charge leveled against her is this all fake, just to make her look good when he's murdered. So as far as the night of the murder itself goes, Mary is visiting Darnley, but she's supposed to go to the wedding festivities of one of her maids of honor. So she leaves. Um, and she is clear that she's not returning to the house later at night. Darnley, I think, is a little upset about that, but she'll be staying at Holy Road House because she has to get up early in the morning. So after the wedding festivities, she's not going to be back. Later that night, the house explodes, and Darnley is found dead of strangulation or maybe post-explosive asphyxiation. So... Who are our suspects in this murder, Katie? Well, we're starting off with Darnley himself. So maybe Darnley wanted to murder some of the lords and the queen all in one go and steal baby James and rule as some sort of regent. But the flaw in this plan is he would have had to have expected the queen and the lords to return after the wedding mask. And Mary made it quite clear that she was going back to Holyrood House, not the old provost's lodging. Um, there's another side to the Darnley plot. Maybe the lords discovered it and they turned the tables on him somehow. But our prime or at least our most famous suspect, is Mary. And in a way, there's a really damning case against her. Right, because of course she had a very unhappy marriage with Darnley. He's a pretty awful guy. And she took him from this strong family base in Glasgow to Edinburgh, where of course he was in more danger. And she'd also favored Bothwell, even after he suggested murdering her husband. There's no evidence to suggest they had an affair at the time, but a lot of people thought that they did. So that's something to keep in mind. Um, It's also likely that these improved relations between Darnley and Mary would have eventually led to resumed conjugal relations, which Mary obviously wouldn't have been very enthusiastic about considering her husband was sick with syphilis. And then the worst worst part of the evidence is she leaves the house two hours before it explodes. That's not going to help your case very much. But there are a lot of flaws with with all of this evidence. Right. There's no evidence, first of all, that Mary ever considered freeing herself from Darnley by any other than legal means. So, yeah, she was looking into annulment, into divorce, and even to, you know, can we charge him with treason? Right. But, but she was not supporting murder. And when she took him to Edinburgh, as we mentioned before, it was because she knew that he was plotting against her and she wanted him where she could keep an eye on him. So, yeah, she's she's bringing him closer to his enemies, but he's also her enemy in a way. She was also hoping for a settlement on the English succession issue. And things were looking pretty rosy with that at this time. I know Elizabeth wasn't happy with the match between Darnley and Mary initially, but uh, because there was some British support of Darnley, It wasn't looking like a bad claim anymore. So why would she kill Queen Elizabeth's cousin? Yeah, um, he only strengthens her claim. You don't want to make Queen Elizabeth angry and bring all the suspicion on herself. And then the point of her continuing to favor Bothwell after he suggested murder, well, so did her her chief advisor, Maitland, and so did her bastard half-brother, Moray. Um, she makes it clear to these guys that she doesn't approve of murdering Darnley. But what, is she going to ditch all her nobles because they're suggesting it? Nobody in Scotland likes Darnley. 
In Alison Weir's book on the Darnley murder, her picks for a murderer are Sir William Maitland and James Stewart, or Moray, who, of course, was Mary, Queen of Scots' brother. And that would rid Scotland of Darnley, who was this Catholic activist, and then hopefully implicate their enemy, James Hepburn, who we've been referring to as Bothwell. And Bothwell is actually involved in the plot himself. He's What he's hoping to get out of it is a marriage to Mary after Darnley's death. So I don't know how he thinks the cards are going to fall with the other lords, uh, but he's got something he wants to get out of it. And the other guys are hoping it'll all fall on him. So rather than being a crime of the heart, as so many in history have painted this, Mary trying to get back at her horrible, horrible husband, we don't like him, (laughs) it was really more of a politically motivated crime. But regardless of who committed the crime, what Mary did next did not look good at all. So Bothwell's acquitted in a sham trial, then he kidnaps and rapes Mary after she refuses to marry him. And then, you know, is we think of Catherine Hepburn's Mary Queen of Scots and it, a grand romance between Mary and Bothwell. Was there one? I mean, we we don't know, but after he raped her, she really didn't have much of a choice but to marry him because a pregnancy would have been far too precarious for her crown to bear. Her already shaky shaky claim to the throne. Right. Mary, Queen of Scots, is cursed with a wide variety of terrible men in her life. But Bothwell divorces his first wife, and they marry May 15, 1567, in a Protestant ceremony. And by this point, Mary is really on the brink, uh, physically and mentally, after Darnley's murder. She doesn't seem like the adulteress who murdered her husband to marry her lover, Bothwell. She's even seen crying the day after her wedding to Bothwell. So it doesn't seem like something she's getting into willingly. No, especially if he is this awful rapist. Clearly she doesn't want to be in this relationship and her husband's just been murdered. So you have to have a little pity for Mary, Queen of Scots. But a coalition of Protestant and Catholic nobles revolt after this. And, um, you can you can imagine something that actually unites the Scottish nobles must be really something. Um, but the Queen's forces meet the rebels at Carberry Hill near Edinburgh and refuse to fight, so she surrenders on the condition that Bothwell be allowed to escape. He gets out into northern Scotland and then to Denmark, where he's taken into custody by King Frederick II. And after the collapse of Mary's cause in Scotland, Bothwell is placed in solitary confinement in a castle. Their marriage is annulled in 1570, and he dies insane five years later. Well, Mary, of course, eventually flees to England and is held captive there for 18 years, um, partly based on the Darnley murder, and dies at the block for plotting against her cousin, Queen Elizabeth, on February 8th, 1587. So there is no happy ending for this story, although it seems the case isn't entirely closed. So if you have some ideas about what happened, please email us at historypodcast at howstuffworks.com. Or check out the blogs on the homepage at www.howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. And be sure to check out the Stuff You Missed in History Class blog on the HowStuffWorks.com homepage. 